Unexpected Jesus. We've been in a uh, sermon series for a, uh, a number of months that have uh, really was the genesis of it was a song called Shadow Step. And there was a line in the song that says, fix my eyes on the unexpected in the wonder of your shadow step, so take another step. Fix my eyes on the unexpected. And then when I fix my eyes on that unexpected, then in the wonder of this next step that you're going to take, I want to follow you, so Lord, take another step. And it was this unexpected action of Jesus that caused the uh, disciples to take some pause, and it also gave them an impetus to be able to take another step. And so, so what is that? Well, it's found in John chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to John chapter 13. And um, this is a uh, Passover meal. It's a, a gathering of the disciples and Jesus to come together for the normal Passover meal, but this one will be uh, different than any they'd ever experienced. Because at the end of this meal, Jesus will be arrested. Then he'll be beaten. And then the next morning, he'll be crucified. And so they have no idea that's getting ready to take place. But naturally, Jesus knows this. And so as he brings them together, something happens at the beginning of the meal that is a teaching lesson for them that they are to hold on to for the rest of their lives. It starts in John chapter 13. Let's just walk through this passage. The first verse says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It meant he loved them to the fullest extent. For three years, he spent his time with these disciples. And so now here he comes to this final meal with them, and he knows his time to depart has come. He knows his crucifixion is getting ready to take place. And so he wants to spend this time and pour into these guys these last few hours. And he says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, it says in verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, Jesus, fully aware of his authority, fully aware of his divine origin, of his power, his authority, his destiny, and that all things were in his hands, decided to take a towel and a basin and some water. And so the agent of creation is now coming, and he says, all things are in my hand, but I'm going to take a towel, I'm going to take a basin, and I'm going to take some water. And he says he gets ready to wash his disciples' feet. But before he does that, we need to understand the setting. And the setting is, is that over these last few weeks along the way, the disciples have been arguing among each other about who was the greatest. And so as they're walking along, each one is saying, hey, when Jesus comes into his kingdom, I think I'm going to be number one or number two. I'm going to be in charge of this. I'm going to be in charge of that. And they're constantly bickering about who is going to be the greatest. Well, if you didn't think that was bad enough, uh, James and John, their mama uh, came 
and, uh, and talked to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, listen, when you come into your kingdom, I would like for you to put my sons on your right hand and also on your left hand, okay? Is that all right? Now, I remember growing up, and I would read this story, and I said, there's no way. There's no way their mom went and talked to Jesus. But as I've gotten older, and I've talked to coaches and cheerleading sponsors uh, and stuff, this happens a lot, uh, a whole lot. And so nothing's changed, folks. Whenever you complain about parents, it's the same thing. I want, I want my son on the right hand. I want my son on the left hand. And then Peter, one of the disciples, he was clearly convinced that he was the best of all of them because he took Jesus aside and he says, hey, I just want to let you know, these other guys, they may turn their back on you, but not me. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. Now, just from that point, you realize a little bit of pride issue happening over here, and that Peter's already uh, put himself ahead of it. And then how about Judas? He's one of the 12. He followed him all this time, and all of a sudden, Judas is getting ready to turn his back, and he's going to betray him. And so all these dynamics are going on. And so in the midst of these dynamics, these 12 disciples travel to get to this upper room. And during those days, when you would walk, you would have uh, your sandals. And it's just a leather strap, okay? You just got a leather strap and then a strap over that to kind of keep your toe in there. And you were walking through mud, sewage, dust. It's pretty nasty. And when you would get to a home, you would take your sandals off, and then you needed to get your feet washed. Now, if the home had a servant, then that servant would wash your feet. If they did not have it, they would provide a basin of water, and then you would wash your own feet. Well, at this, this was a private party that they had, and so there was no servant to clean any of the feet. So at this dinner, all 12 disciples came in, took their sandals off, but nobody really washed the feet, and uh, they just went and began to set up, set up for the meal. What you need to understand in that culture is that touching the feet was seen as menial slave work. It was primarily an assignment that was given to Gentile slaves and to women. And this is a society that was very conscious of status symbols, and they had symbols of shame, and they had symbols of honor. And so they were very careful to make sure they wouldn't do anything that would drop them lower in other people's opinion. And one of those is touching and washing of feet. This was an extreme matter. And so in no way do we ever see a person of higher status wash the feet of someone of a lower status. And so there were, most likely in this setup, uh, when you look at the Last Supper, it's not like the famous painting where they're all sitting at a long table on there. But what it'll usually would be would be like a U-shape of, let's say, three tables. And as they would have these, these areas laid out to where the food was, then everyone else will be reclining. And they usually lay down on mats and, and would lay on like their left elbow and you eat with your right hand. And as you're laying down and people are just laying down reclining uh, in this U-shape and the food's all out there, they, they would usually sit like this to where your feet are over here. So you don't have your feet in anybody's face. They're just off to the side. And so if somebody did come to wash your feet, over on the side, you really weren't looking at them. You were looking at, at everybody else. And so that's just the way that you would, you would position it. And so they get set up for the meal. And everyone's in, in their place. And in the midst of this supper, 
all of a sudden, Jesus gets up, so which means he had already laid down or just kind of got in his reclining position. He rose up, and when he did, he takes off his outer cloaks, and he walks over there, and he picks up a towel, and he says he ties it around his waist. And then he gets a basin, and he gets some water, and then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. This series is entitled Unexpected Jesus. This was truly an unexpected Jesus moment. The disciples were shocked, and some were even probably embarrassed by this humility and this servanthood. D.A. Carson uh, wrote a statement in a commentary, and he made this statement. There is no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. I want you to hear that sentence one more time. There's no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources. So you go back through all history, begin to read all the sources. They cannot find one instance of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. This was huge. But this was the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe is now kneeling down, taking a towel, taking water, and washing the callous, dirty feet of his disciples. This is beyond huge. This is totally unexpected. And so as he's going through and washing the feet, you're not sure exactly what response they're getting. Most likely, there's either an uncomfortable silence or this gentle murmuring that's going on, kind of questioning why Jesus is doing that. And he goes from one disciple to another until he gets to Peter. And Peter, never one uh, lost for words, comes up in verse 6. And really, Peter is probably saying what everyone else is thinking. And in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, the New Testament, as we have it, is originally is written in Greek. And you take the, um, the language in which it was written, it literally means, Lord, do you my feet wash? And this is why this is important. Lord, do you my feet wash? You have your two pronouns there, you and my, and they're side to side. Lord, do you my feet wash? You, 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 you really think you're going to wash my feet? And so there's a boldness in there of him almost questioning Jesus. It's more of a challenge than a question. And most likely, I would think that as Jesus came to him, he probably lifted his feet up. And he says, you're not going to wash my feet. And then look at Jesus' response in verse 7. And then Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Okay. We've been traveling for maybe close to three years or less with Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is second in the Trinity. He's the agent of creation. And he looks you in the eye, who you've been with, and he says, what I'm getting ready to do, you don't understand it right now, but you'll understand it afterward. So I want you to sit back, and I'll wash your feet. That's done, right? Case closed. Move on. Would you agree with that? Yeah. But no, Peter wouldn't move on. And sadly, neither do we. Because in verse 8, this is what he said. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. In the original language, it meant never forever. You will never, ever wash my feet. Wow. It's the strength of an oath. 
almost as you're swearing, you will never, ever wash my feet. Peter is telling Jesus, the Son of God, agent of creation, second person in the Trinity, that he will never allow him to do what he desires to do in Peter. Nope, I will never give you my feet to wash. This is what he said to him. I thought about this this week, and I kept coming back over verses 7 and verses 8, and I kept looking at that, and I said, good gracious, Lord, how often is this us? that we're no different than Peter. Then when Jesus comes up and says, this is what I desire to do in your life, and then we come back with him and we say, I'll never let you do that. This is what we say to Jesus. I'll never give you my career, my vocation for you to do as you wish. I'll never give you my racial prejudices for you to reshape my thinking. I'll never give you my sex drive for you to make it pure and wholesome. I'll never give you my resources for you to use to see fit to advance your kingdom. I'll never give you my social media for you to use for your glory rather than for my own self-edification. I'll never give you my calendar for you to get first place rather than if there are any leftover time slots available. I'll never give you my marriage for you to do a new work in our lives. I'll never give you my singleness and trust your plan for my life. I'll never give you my children to you for you to use them and send them wherever you choose to send them, and the list goes on and on. I will never give it. Now, now I want to be a follower of yours, but there's some places I'm just going to draw the line, and I will say never. And when he comes to you and makes his plea, and we go, no, you'll never wash my feet. I'll never give you my feet to wash on there. A proud heart and dirty feet are a bad combination. Before you're willing to let the Lord clean your feet, you've got to deal with your pride. And before you can serve others, you have got to deflate your puffed-up pride. And so, verse 8, the second part of verse 8, Jesus gives him an answer. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Now, I can almost see as Jesus is bending down, he's getting ready to wash his feet, and Peter's kind of fighting him on it, and then he just looks him in the eye and he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you got no part of me. And just kind of stare at him. Now all of a sudden, falls back over here in his court. And uh, I thought about that statement and said, you know, that's really a foundational statement for our relationship with Jesus as Lord. You can't tell him you shall never and then participate in his work. There are two words that will never go together in the English language, no and Lord. You can never say no, Lord. If you say no, then he's not Lord. All you can do is say yes, Lord. And so by him saying no, Jesus is saying then I'm really not Lord, and you really have no part of me on there. And that's how I left it with it. Well, Peter was quick to change <laughs> because the separation from Jesus was totally objectionable to Peter. So he comes back and look what he says in verse 9. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me a whole bath. <laughs> he said, hey, when you put it like this, let's forget about just washing the feet. Let's just go for the whole bath and shower and, uh, and wash me completely. I'm ready for the full bath. And then when, this is what Jesus comes back to him and he corrects him. And he said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
but is completely clean, and you are clean. You see, the whole body doesn't need to be bathed. He says when a guest comes to a dinner like this, you've already taken a bath. You're already totally clean. It's just that your feet get dirty on the way over there, and so what we've got to do is just clean your feet. And he's talking about spiritual cleansing over here. He says there is this once-for-all cleansing that takes place when you become a Christian. And when you receive Christ and when, he, when you understand that he went to the cross and he died for our sins, and when he died for our sins, he paid for the penalty for our sins. His blood was shed for our sins. And when you receive him as Savior, that is what is called justification. And that means you've been justified, that your sins have been, uh, or been judged and put away. And the cross takes care of all of that. But in the course of our ongoing Christian lives, we still sin. And so when we sin, we come back to God and we say, will you forgive me? And God will cleanse those feet up and say, let's keep on going. And that's what's called sanctification. And so that's when we're going through this life as to where we're being transformed to be more like Christ. And so he's looking at Peter and says, this is what needs to be. It's just the feet need to be cleansed. But you need to be willing to come to me with the sins that take place in your daily life and to ask for forgiveness and allow me as the Savior to be able to clean your feet and say, yes, you're forgiven, and let's continue to move on. And so it says here at the end of verse uh, verse 10, he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said not all of you are clean. And in verse 12, it says, when he'd washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? He washed all of their feet. He even washed Judas's feet, who he knew was betraying him. And he washed them all. And after he washed them all, and then he settles back down, he says, do you know the significance of what I have just done, of what you've just experienced? And I'm sure there were no answers because people are still pretty dumbfounded as to this unexpected thing that Jesus did. And so Jesus gives them an explanation. He says in verse 13, and in verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. You call me teacher, you call me Lord. Those are titles of of position and titles of strength and authority. And he says, you call me your teacher, and I am. You also call me uh, your Lord, and I am. So We've got that settled. Then he comes in verse 14, and look at this. He says, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash and stop right there. You ought also ought to wash. Now, if this was a test, and it was a fill in the blank, and he handed out a sheet of paper to all the disciples and said, okay, so this is a one test question. Uh, all right, are you ready? One question test. All right, this is it. And he says, verse 14. And verse 14 says, if I, your teacher, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash, fill in the blank. And what do you think they would have said? Wash your feet. Wash the feet of the teacher. Wash the feet of the Lord. Yeah. If you wash my feet, I'm just some lowly person, then I should wash your feet. Every disciple would have put that in as his answer. And then when he put in his answer, they would have run to Jesus and said, let me wash your feet. Let me wash your feet. But it wasn't it. It wasn't it at all. Look what he says. This is where he really threw them off. He says, you were to wash one another's feet. Whoa. That's not really what we were looking for. You were to wash one another's feet. And so what Jesus did is he emphasized the fact that if he, whom they regarded as their leader, had stooped to serve their needs, they should do the same for one another. 
And when we realize that Jesus has washed us through the cross, how much more ought we to wash the feet and do acts of service to even the lowest of his followers and even to those who do not claim him? And to refuse to do so through pride is to proclaim ourselves superior to our master. And when we fail to serve others and to humble ourselves and to serve others, we are saying that we are greater than Jesus himself because Jesus humbled himself, washed the disciples' feet on there. And he says, I've done this as an example. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. An example of humility and voluntary service for others. And he says, this is what you should do. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The bottom line is it's obedience, doing what we're told to do. He washed dirty feet, and we're to do the same thing. We need to see others as Christ sees them. We need to risk reaching out, giving up the luxury of staying safe, and giving up our preference for his. It was just like in the testimony about, you know, I had not thought about being able to share uh, Jesus with this person, but there was that intersection in our lives, and so I'm going to do this. And we're going to have opportunities to serve people and to humble ourselves, and, and Jesus is saying, this is the example that I have given you. And then in verse 16, in verse 16, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He is their master. He is the one that sent them. And if he's their master and he's the one that sent them, then they should likewise show humility to others. He says, you know that I'm in a position here, but yet I came down and I washed your feet. I served you. Then you should likewise serve others. And in verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He didn't sit there and say, if you've got the head knowledge, I'm excited for you. He says, no, there's head knowledge and life participation. That's what needs to happen. You need to not only have it in your head, but you need to live it out in your life. And there's no division between just understanding and life practice. The way Jesus works is there is the combination of two. You understand it in your head, and you live it out with your life. And that's what he told his disciples. He says, you understand what I'm saying? They're nodding their heads. He says, then go do it. This is what we need to do. Just studying about it or discussing it produces no lasting happiness. The fun comes when we roll up our sleeves, we take the towel, we wash a few feet quietly, graciously, and lovingly. Unexpected Jesus. He showed up as a servant, and it kind of blew these guys away. And so our challenge is for us is to follow the example of this unexpected Jesus and to be a servant, to follow that example, because he says, I've given you this as an example. So how are we to do this? How are we to follow the example? Well, let me give you four things real quick. You follow the example of Jesus and to be a servant. Number one, when the need is present. When the need is present. Listen, there were 24 dirty feet there, not counting Jesus. 24 dirty feet that were sitting around there. The need was visible. Somebody needs to wash these people's feet before we have our meal. And so Jesus stepped up as a servant, took the robe off, took his outer garments off, put the towel, wrapped around his waist, grabbed the water, grabbed the, uh, grabbed the basin, and he's out there, and he's washing people's feet. It's just because the need was there. Have a servant mindset. 
You don't need to be asked to do something. When you see the need, respond. They weren't going around, sitting around the table, doing rock, paper, scissors to see who was going to be the, the foot washer on there. Nobody was leaning over there saying, about time for Jesus to kind of do something like this. No, nobody asked him. He just saw the need and he picked it up and he went with it. It's a servant mindset that we're to have as believers. And you just carry it over into all parts of your life. It's just like on this campus. You're walking around on this campus. You see a piece, a piece of trash out there. You don't just sit there and say, hey, maybe the maintenance crew will pick that up tomorrow, but I got to go now, you know. Just reach down, pick it up. There are plenty of trash cans all around over here. <laughs> Put it in your car. I've seen some of your cars. It's pretty trashy too. No, I'm just kidding you. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you just, you just pick something up. Uh, on there. Uh, someone says, hey, we need some help in worship care. Just volunteer, serve. I'll, I'll help you out with that. You see a single parent that's struggling over there. Come by, help them out. Help out that single parent. A senior adult, you, you kind of drive by and you see the yard is, is getting, a, the grass is kind of growing up and stuff. Just, just volunteer to say, hey, I'm going to cut your grass. We got a group of men that, I just love these guys. It's called seven to, seven to nine, seven to nine. And once a month on Saturday morning, just a group of men from this church get together and uh, go do a service project mainly for members of our church. Senior adults who've got some overgrown things in their yard, and these guys get out there, and it's just full of testosterone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get to get the chainsaws, and they get chainsaws and rakes and hammers, and, and they create all kind of damage. But it's great. No, it works. <laughs> no, it's amazing. They show before pictures and after pictures, and you're just blown away. And we've done this for some of the schools that we've adopted. It's just serving. It's just serving. And why are you doing it? Because the need is present. It's right there. And so for us, to do the example of what Jesus did, I doubt seriously that he's, he's planning to wash these guys' feet, but he walks in and he surveys the situation. And all of a sudden he says, this is perfect. We've got a lot of proud hearts out here and Nobody stepping up. I'm going to step right up. I'm going to do this. Number two, regardless of position. When are we to do this? When are we, we to be this servant? Regardless of your position. In verse three, it says that the Father had put all things in Jesus' hands, yet Jesus picked up a towel and a basin. He was sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. He was master, yet he served his followers. So it does not matter what your position is. Too often in our society, people worry about their rank, their position, their place, their prestige, what order they are. Jesus says, and he shows us that we serve no matter what position that we are in. Don't worry about your position, regardless of your position. One of the greatest acts of service I remember seeing was when I was on staff in Dallas, Texas at Prestonwood Baptist Church. And Don Carter was a member of our church, and Don Carter was a multi-million dollar owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He was before Mark Cuban. And so uh, he owned the Mavericks and was just this great owner. He attended our church, was a strong member over there. And uh, we were landlocked, and we had a lot of parking issues. And uh, there were some uh, businesses that really didn't need us parking in their area, which made sense. They had to operate on that Sunday morning. Well, there were some less than cordial, godly members that would still park there and then cuss out people. It was a great start to a Sunday morning uh, uh, when they would come. And, there was, and so we built this shuttle system so people could park far off and then we could go pick them up. And a lot of times when you're picking these people up, they're not real happy campers because they still feel they should be able to park right across the street and they just don't think that's right. And, and so 
you know, it may not be the most thankful job that you have, but we ran them, and, and through the services that we have, we'd run these shuttles. And, and being on staff, we're the last ones to leave, and so I'm walking out the doors and uh, after the last service, and here comes this shuttle, drives up to me. And we just live right across the street, so we didn't need it. But it pulls up, and the door opens. It's Don Carter driving the shuttle, multi-million dollar owner of the Dallas Mavericks. I said, Don, what are you doing? He says, I'm driving shuttle for the 11 o'clock service, and I'm loving it. I said, serious? He said, oh, man, I love this. This is great. Do this every Sunday. Every Sunday I do this. You know what God just showed me right there? He said, Danny, regardless of your position, you just have a heart for service. This is exactly what he had. And it's what Jesus had was his heart for service. So I began to think about whatever your position is, you think about serving, you're going to find yourself in one of three positions. One is uh, there will be people that you will be below, uh, people that will be above you. It, it may be a boss or it may be someone uh, that, that somehow is above you. And when you're asked to serve them, that's the easiest one to serve. There's something about that. You know, they're above me. I'm going to come. I'm going to serve you and just show I appreciate you on that. So you've got those that are above you. You've also got those that are below you. And sometimes that's a little tougher. You know, you look at the organizational chart, and they're, they're below you in the organizational chart. You look at it from a talent standpoint, they're, they're kind of below in their, in their talent. Uh, from an education standpoint, a little bit below. From a financial standpoint, they're a little bit below. But God still called you to serve them. And sometimes it, you just realize, you know, there's a need there, and, and I'm, I'm going to serve them. I'm not going to get all puffed up. I'm going to serve them. So if they're above you, yes, and they're below you, yes, those are ones that are relatively easy. The most difficult is peers. The most difficult people for us to serve are our peers. And I think the reason is, and I, I came up with this term called peer positioning, peer positioning, and we all do it. Even though we are peers, look to the person to your left, person to your right, even though we are peers, we still see ourselves as wanting to be just a little notch above them. We don't want to be below a peer. We want to be above a peer. Now, we're all peers. We have peers in our school, in our athletic teams, in our work, here at church. But you see, what we want to do is we want to be just a tad above them. And for me to humble myself to serve you would be like I am admitting that I might be inferior to you, and this is why I'm doing this, and so it makes it hard for me to do that. That's where the disciples were, and that's why Jesus, when he said, fill in the blank of the question, he says, this is why you should what? Wash one another's feet. There were 24 dirty feet in that room, not counting Jesus, and not one of those disciples wanted to get up and wash the other guy's feet. They would have gladly performed the service for Jesus, but to perform it for the other disciples would have been regarding an admission of inferiority because the first guy that blinked and said, hey, I'm going to wash your feet, that guy sitting over there thinking, yeah, that's about right. should be because you're just not quite as spiritual or as smart or as good-looking or as talented as I am. And that does make sense that you're washing my feet on there. And so we don't want to do that. None of us can say that we're too good, we have too much, we know too much, we've been here too long, or we give too much. We serve regardless of our position. Does that make sense? We serve regardless of our position. Number three, we serve regardless of our distractions. Regardless of distractions. 
Verse 3, it says, uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Can you imagine what's going on in the mind of Christ right now? He knows that this night I'm going to be arrested. He knows this night I'm going to be beaten within an inch of my life. He knows that in the next few hours he'll be dragged to a cross and will be crucified and suspended between heaven and earth for six hours. He knows all of this is getting ready to happen. And in the midst of that, he washes their feet. Would, he, would you have given him a pass if he said, hey, we'll just... Let's just go with dirty feet on this meal. I got too much other stuff going on in my mind. So what we are to do is we are to serve, even when life is hard and even when your schedule is busy, no matter what the distractions, when you see the opportunity, you need to serve. And last of all, you need to serve regardless of the type of feet, regardless of the type of feet. God has called us to be foot inspectors and not foot washers. God did not call us to be foot inspectors. He called us to be foot washers. We're not to inspect the feet before we wash them. He says, you just wash the feet because there's all kind of different feet. There's beautiful feet. You know, some people have beautiful feet. I mean, they're just real attractive feet. And so as you get these beautiful feet, that represents the, you know, the beautiful people, the people that we're really close to and, and, and we love and we got that great relationship with, man, it's great to serve them, all right? But the second, some people have got ugly feet. This is not a time of testimonial, but, you know, at times there are ugly feet. And usually you discover this when you're at the beach and people are walking and you just kind of look at people's feet. Right. Have you ever made the statement, you might want to keep those under the sand? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Have you ever thought about wearing loafers next time you walk on the beach? On no. But, you know, ugly feet. Well, guess what? There are ugly lives. There are ugly lives. There are people that we would just say they're not our kind of people. And we just say, well, they're not like the beautiful people over here. We would term them as they're just not our kind of people. They're different. They're different from us over there. You know what Jesus said? Hey, you just need to wash people's feet. I don't care if it's a beautiful foot or an ugly foot. They've all been created in the image of God, and, it, and this ugly foot person is beautiful in his sight, so we need to clean those feet. But there's also smelly feet. Yeah, there's smelly feet. And those smelly feet, those ones that stink, he says, I want you to wash those. There are smelly feet out there all around us whose lives are caught up in sin, and their life really does stink. And their lives are so messed up. And they just want someone to come and show them, how can I clean this mess up? And you could be the person that could do that. Jesus doesn't give us a, a pass on that. So you've got beautiful feet. You've also got those that could be ugly feet. You've got smelly feet. But then you've also got hurting feet. Well, have you ever come in from, from a day or so and your feet are just hurting? And all you need is you just need some consolation. And there are a lot of hurting feet that are in the congregation, outside this congregation, that they're looking how wonderful would it be if someone would just come and it's almost like a foot massage <laughs> to say, I am hurting. I need some consolation. And then there's tired feet. And the tired feet are the ones that are just worn out of life. And as they've gone through life and difficulties have come their way, they need someone that would come and say, let me serve you. Let me do something for you. And so you look at all these different types of feet out there, and we are called as believers, as followers of Christ, to serve every one of those kind of feet. But just as there are different feet, there are going to be different reactions. 
Just think, Jesus came and he washed the feet of Judas. And he's looking him in the eyes, he's washing his feet. And then hours later, Judas comes up, kisses him on the cheek and betrays him. And the Romans come and they take him away. And how about Peter? The one that said, hey, give me a bath. And he washes his feet and guess what happens to Peter? Hours later, he denies him three times. He denies Jesus over there. Listen, Jesus didn't serve to gain favor with man. He wasn't washing their feet, hoping these guys would say, hey, you're my best friend. What he did was he served because he loved mankind, which is the true nature of love. He wasn't looking for a response back. He was just saying the true nature of love is that I give and I serve, and that's what he did, and he did it to them. And he said, that's the example I leave with you is that you are to do this for others, and you are to wash their feet. We are to follow our Lord's example. We are to love and humbly serve others. But you remember when Jesus told Peter, and he said, what I'm getting ready to do right now, you don't understand, but you will understand it later? Where the understand it later came is when he saw Jesus go to the cross as a servant and die and then was raised from the dead. Paul captured it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Son of God came as a servant and as a slave to serve us, to be crushed for us, to free us from our own slavery of sin that leads to eternal death and to open the way for us to enjoy and to delight in God's presence now and forever. Jesus is our model and our example. He's the ultimate servant. He's the one that went to the cross to die for our sins. And then he looks to us and he says, what I've done for you in washing your feet, I want you to do for others. That's the example. So we are to look at this unexpected Jesus, this amazing act of servanthood, of washing these disciples' feet, take that example, and then for us to go from this place and to live out that example and to serve others, to be a servant. I can't think of a better Sunday for us to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper than this Sunday. As we move towards uh, Easter Sunday, we won't have an opportunity to, in essence, sort of reenact what took place in this story from the Passover meal. And in this Passover meal, when Jesus called his disciples together and they were having this meal, he showed them what servanthood was like by washing their feet. And then hours later, he goes to the cross to display again what being a servant is. And so, uh, as we close our service, we're going to have a time of, of where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, I would like to ask those that will be serving the elements if you would come at this time. And as they begin to come, let me just tell for, speak for all of you that are here that with the Lord's Supper, it is, um, uh, it, it, is an, uh, it is something that we will do t- together as a church family. And 
for some of you, if you're a guest of ours, if you've ever made a decision for Christ and you know that you're a follower and a believer in Him, we would ask for you to participate in this. And on the other hand, if you, as you've come here today and you say, well, you know, I'm really not a Christian. I'm just kind of showing up and I, I'm just checking this thing out. Man, we're glad that you're here. But uh, on this particular uh, part of our service, when the elements are passed, I would ask you not to take one of the elements but just to be thinking about the words and the song that we will be singing and the message that we have preached. And my hope is that you would make that decision to receive Christ as Savior. And for those that are guests that will participate, just take the elements and hold on to it. And then uh, in just a few moments, I'll give you the instructions for how we'd like to partake of it. So let me lead us in a word of prayer and get our hearts prepared for this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when your son came, he came to be a servant. And, uh, and in becoming a servant, his desire was to give his own life so that we could have eternal life. And in these next few moments, as we get to partake of the Lord's Supper, may you speak to our hearts about where we are in serving you and in serving others. And if there's some areas, some roadblocks of either pride or anger or resistance or bitterness that, Father, you would sort of, you would break those down and that we would see those go away and that in the partaking of these elements that there's a new recommitment of our lives to you and a greater strength in following you and being a servant. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.